evidence and answers. Critics allege that the Gospels were written nearly a century after the life of Christ by unknown authors and that much of the Gospel accounts are legends and exaggerations about Christ's life, which developed over generations as the story of Jesus was passed down orally. Are the Gospels fact or are they fiction? Do we have a reliable record of Jesus' life and ministry? You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucrin. Pat's a scholar, author, and speaker on apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. The Gospels are the crucial documents telling us about the life of Christ. Are they fact or fiction? Let's join Pat now as he makes his case for the historical reliability of the Gospels. Well, I grew up here in Hawaii. I grew up in a Japanese family, so of course we had a Buddhist background. And so that was my background, going to the YBA here on the, next to the Pali Highway. And as I learned about Buddhism, I eventually rejected it because Buddhism is an unlivable system. I also went to a very liberal, was once a Christian school, and we learned about the Bible, but we were pretty much taught it's filled with myths and legends, and really, we didn't take it seriously, nor did the priests on campus seem to really take it seriously. So I simply rejected all religions as myths and legends and became an atheist. And when I was 17 years old, a teammate on the baseball team came to Christ and invited me to church and I didn't go, but I reluctantly went and I sat in the back and about the second hymn, you know, my battle with sleep, I lost and I slept through the whole service. But when I woke up at the end, they were serving communion and the pastor said two verses that changed my life forever. Matthew chapter 11, verse 20, Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that hit me, because here for the first time I came to understand the message of the gospel, that the God of the universe loved me and wanted to be a part of my life, so much so he invited me to place my burdens on him, because he wanted to grant me rest. Never heard that before. Never understood the message of the gospel in that way. All my life people saying, don't bother me with your problems. Got enough of my own. You take care of yourself. But here the God of the universe said, hey, I'm so interested in your life. I want to be a part of your life. I invite you to put your burdens on me because I want to give you rest. And then he quoted another verse, Matthew chapter 28, the final verse, and I'll be with you always, even to the very end of the age. And I thought, wow, the God of the universe makes that kind of commitment to me. You know, the greatest commitment many of us will make or have made is on your wedding day, your wedding vows. But your final words, you say what? Till death do us part. Yet here the God of the universe said, I'll be with you always, even to the very end of the age, as Pastor Earl said. Even your worst and darkest of days, I'm going to be there. And I thought, wow, that's the commitment that the God of the universe has made. Inviting me to cast my burdens on him, making that kind of commitment. So I sat in the pew and I prayed, God of the Bible, if you're real, I want to know you. Well, the very next day I went to my school priest and I told him, I said, hey, I went to this church, heard the gospel message about this guy, Jesus, and God invites us into this kind of relationship. And he smiled and he said, well, don't take it so serious. <laughs> Whatever you want to believe is fine, as long as it makes you happy, you know. Any religion is good. And so I was shocked. I thought, well, here's a guy who studied all his life. He doesn't seem to believe the Bible or, you know, even in a personal God. And so I signed up for Bible class, 
just because I want to learn Bible. I thought, Bible is Bible. No matter who teaches it, it doesn't matter. Signed up for his Bible class, and throughout the semester, I learned all the reasons why the Bible cannot be true. Moses could not have written the first five books of the Old Testament. Sophisticated law codes weren't written back then. There's Greek in the book of Daniel. Daniel's supposed to be written during the Babylonian Empire. Why is there Greek in there? The Gospels, filled with myths and legends, written over a century after the life of Jesus. And so these questions began to bother me. I'd go to church and I'd ask people all these questions. Well, how do we know that the legends of Jesus aren't borrowed from Greek mythology? They have virgin birth. They have resurrection. And no one could answer me. And I was about to walk away from the faith when someone gave me a book on apologetics. I didn't know what it was. And he said, I have no answers for you, but this book might help. And so I began reading the book, and it's the first book I ever read from cover to cover. First book I ever read. 17 years, I've never read through a book before. <laughs> first time I did. And I was just fascinated. There I saw the compelling evidence for Jesus Christ. And so fascinated, I said, hey, where'd you get this book? He said, oh, it's a Christian bookstore. And I said, can I get another one? And I read another one and another one. And that's how I fell in love with apologetics. Now, the search begins right here in the first four books of the New Testament, the Gospels. If the Gospels are true, then it is the greatest and most wonderful news ever given to mankind. For in it is the historical account of God coming to dwell with us, rescue us from sin and eternal death, and bring us to fullness of life and eternal life. If it is false, it's the most despicable lie ever perpetuated by the human mind. John writes in his Gospels, But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Well, throughout the ages, critics have sought to destroy the historical integrity of the Gospels. A recent best-selling novel. In this novel, if you remember, a few years ago, it's made several assertions. It said, the Bible is the product of man, my dear, not of God. The Bible did not magically fall from the clouds. Man created it as a historical record of tumultuous times. It has evolved through countless translations, editions, and revisions. History has never had a definitive version of the book. On another page, it reads, these are photocopies of the Nag Hammadi and Dead Sea Scrolls, the earliest Christian records. So there are records that precede our gospel. Troublingly, they do not match up with the gospels in the Bible. And finally, the final assertion is this. Jesus Christ was a historical figure of staggering influence, perhaps the most enigmatic and inspirational leader the world has ever seen. Understandably, his life was recorded by thousands of followers across the land. More than 80 gospels were considered for the New Testament, yet only a relative few were chosen for inclusion. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John amongst them. Well, the skeptics allege the following, and these have been allegations skeptics have presented throughout the ages. First, the Gospels do not represent the oldest record of Jesus Christ. Other works, such as the Gnostic works at Nag Hammadi, precede our New Testament Gospels. The Gospels were written perhaps a century after the life of Christ and the Apostles, and therefore, the Gospels have not been accurately preserved, but have been embellished over the centuries, creating a false picture of Christ foreign to early 
Christianity? Well, let's begin by addressing the first assertion here, the date of the Gospels. Are they early first-generation accounts written in the life of the eyewitnesses, or are they written much later? The date of the writings is critical to the question of the historical integrity of the Gospels. So when were the Gospels written? Do we have an accurate historical eyewitness accounts? How early are these written? We can be reasonably confident that the Gospels are an accurate historical work written by first century eyewitnesses and their associates. One of the premier scholars, New Testament scholars of our time, F.F. F. Bruce, a tremendous New Testament scholar, presents strong evidence in his work that the New Testament was completed by 100 AD and that most of the New Testament writings were completed 20 to 40 years before this. The Dean of Middle Eastern Archaeology, Dr. William F. Albright, and this man probably wouldn't be in the evangelical camp, but he's the father of Middle Eastern archaeology, one of the greatest authorities ever on Middle Eastern archaeology. And he stated this, in my opinion, every book of the New Testament was written by a baptized Jew between the 40s and 80s of the first century AD, very probably sometime between 50 and 75 AD. Here, a very liberal theologian, the leader of the Death of God movement, Bishop John Robinson, rejected much of the Gospels as mythology. Yet at the end of his life, after all of his study, he wrote one of his final books called Redating the New Testament. And after all his research, presented new dates for the Gospels. And he concluded that the Gospels are completed by 65 AD. And here's from one of the most liberal critics of Christianity. Now here are the traditional dates of the Gospels. Mark's many believe is written 60 AD, or some believe Matthew is the first gospel. Luke follows in about 70 AD or before, and John somewhere between 70 and 90 AD. Now, the internal and external evidence indicates that the gospels are written well within the first century, well within the lifetime of the eyewitnesses, that these indeed can be eyewitness accounts. How do we know that? Well, we first look at the internal evidence. The first three Gospels record a very important prophecy made by Jesus. In Matthew chapter 24, you can read this prophecy. Jesus prophesies of the destruction of the Jerusalem temple. However, none of the Gospel writers record its fulfillment. That's very strange. You see, the temple is the heartbeat of Israeli spiritual life. Even to this day, it is the most important religious structure in the life of the Jews. It's strange that the gospel writers would record this very important prophecy of Jesus, and it's strange they never record its fulfillment. The temple was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD and has never been rebuilt. It's been the most important religious structure in the life of the Jews. Very significant that they do not mention it. Here's a reconstruction of the temple there. It is the main building in the city of Jerusalem. There is massive, gorgeous, beautiful temple, the heartbeat of the Jewish religion. Even to this day, there is the Wailing Wall, 2,000-year-old wall, the most sacred place for the Jews 
where they come to pray. Now, even in the book of Acts, which is written after the Gospel of Luke, the temple still plays a central role in the life of the Israelite people. What's even more interesting is that Luke wrote his gospel before the book of Acts. So we can conclude Acts is written before 70 AD, and the gospel of Luke precedes the book of Acts, and Matthew and Mark precede the gospel of Luke. So now we're really moving that timeline up. Acts records the growth of the New Testament church throughout the Roman Empire after the resurrection. The temple still plays a key role in that book. Another line of evidence comes from the letters of Paul. Paul wrote from 48 to 60 AD, and we know according to the Jewish historian Josephus, Paul was martyred in 65 AD. What's interesting is in 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul quotes the Gospel of Luke. Therefore, the Gospel of Luke was around, Paul knew about it, and he quoted it. And also, when you read Acts, it ends on a very strange note. It ends, Paul was under house arrest, and people were freely able to come and go and visit him. And that's how it ends. Luke never records the death of his two most important leaders of the early church. We know that Peter and Paul died in about 65 AD under the persecution of Nero. And Luke never records that. More than that, he does not include other events that surround the fall of the Jerusalem temple. There's no reference to the Jewish war between the Jews and the Romans, which began in 66 AD, which led to the destruction of the Jerusalem temple and the city of Jerusalem. There's no hint of Nero's persecutions of the church, some of the most severe in which the church's major leaders were martyred in 65 AD. Paul is still alive in the book of Acts. Peter is still alive. James, the early leader of the church, according to Josephus, was martyred in 62 AD. And he's still alive in the book of Acts. All of this shows that Acts was probably completed before 62 AD. And remember, the Gospel of Luke precedes Acts. And scholars agree, Matthew and Mark precede the Gospel of Luke. Let me present to you a simple example. Suppose you went to the library and picked up a book on the history of New York City. Now suppose you open to the first page, which includes the copyright and publishing dates, are missing. So you don't know when this book was written. Well, you skim through the book, but when you get to the end, you realize there's no mention of the fall of the World Trade Centers or the events that followed 9-11-2001. There's no mention of the key figures, Mayor Rudolph Giuliani, Governor Pataki, and other key figures. What would you conclude? Well, the most logical conclusion you would arrive at is that this book was completed prior to 2001. Same here in the book of Acts. The Gospel of Luke precedes the book of Acts. Matthew and Mark precede the Gospel of Luke. So if Acts is completed before 62 AD, Luke is completed before that, Matthew and Mark is completed before that, you see how we're really moving that timeline up. Therefore, the Gospels and Acts are written well within the first century AD, well within the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. Now, we have external evidence that supports a very early date as well. 
the documentary evidence, the ancient manuscripts we have of the New Testament far surpasses any other ancient work of its time. When it comes to the New Testament, we have over 5,000 ancient Greek manuscripts, some dating as early as 120 AD. Here's just a few key documents that demonstrate how early the Gospels are written. Now, an important manuscript is the Chester Beatty Papyri. It's one of the earliest canons of the New Testament. It contains most of the New Testament books. It's dated 250 A.D. Now, what can we conclude from this? Well, remember, the books are hand-copied. All right, so the original books were probably written well before 250 A.D. To copy a large canon of most of the books of the New Testament, like the Chester Beatty Papyri, takes quite a bit of time. So we can conclude the individual books of the New Testament are completed way earlier. Now, there's another one called the Bodmer Papyri. Dates about 200 A.D. and contains most of the Gospel of John. And then there's another famous fragment. It's just a fragment of the Gospel of John. Just a few verses called the Rylands Fragment or the Rylands Papyri. And it was found in Egypt, dated 120 A.D. From this fragment, we can conclude that the Gospel of John was completed well before 120 A.D. Why is that? Well, the Gospel of John has to be written somewhere in Asia Minor where John was, then copied and copied, and somehow the copies make its way all the way down to Egypt where the Rylands fragment was discovered. Therefore, we can conclude that the original Gospel of John is written well within the first century. Okay, this is the Chester Beatty Papyri. Uh, very famous New Testament canon here, dated 250 A.D. From these ancient documents, we can conclude that the books of the New Testament are written very early within the first century A.D. Now, another line of evidence is the writings of the early church fathers. Clement of Rome, writing as early as 90 A.D., quotes from all the Gospels. Papias, writing... At 110 A.D., quotes from all the Gospels. Ignatius, Bishop of Antioch, writes 115 A.D., quoting from all the Gospels. In fact, in the first 300 years, the church fathers quote every sentence of the New Testament. Every verse of the New Testament is quoted except for 11. The church fathers then already knew of these New Testament books. They already knew who had written them, that they were indeed inspired writings and part of God's inspired New Testament canon, and they're quoting them as inspired scripture. So the evidence is very compelling that the Gospels are first-generation accounts written well within the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. Now, the early dating is important for several reasons. Number one, the closer in date to the event, the more accurate your record. Second, Early dating shows that eyewitnesses were alive when the Gospels were written and circulating to attest to their accuracy. And third, the time is too short for legends to develop. Historians have studied this and have shown it takes at least two to three generations for myths and legends to develop. Why is that? Well, because the eyewitnesses who can corroborate 
Your facts as true or false have to all die and pass from the scene. And then myths and legends can creep into the text. However, the Gospels are written way too early for myths and legends to develop. Imagine when the Gospel writers are circulating their documents in Israel, when the apostles are preaching their message, there's no way their message could have survived had it not been true. Why? There's too many eyewitnesses alive who can verify their facts as true or false. For example, imagine if I wrote a book claiming that John F. Kennedy did tremendous miracles in the cities of New York, Boston, Atlanta, and Los Angeles, that he predicted the downfall of the Soviet Union, the fall of the Berlin Wall, and the events of 9-11. And finally, I come out and say three days after he got shot, hundreds of people witnessed him alive and speaking in the city of Dallas. Now how long would my work last? Probably wouldn't last a week before it was kicked into the fiction section. Why is that? There's too many eyewitnesses who are still alive who can corroborate my evidence as true or false. Same thing with the Gospels here. They're written very early in the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. As the apostles are preaching their message, as the Gospels are circulating in the land of Israel, the eyewitnesses who witnessed these events were still alive and could verify these accounts as true or false. There's no way the Gospels would have lasted had the accounts not been true. Too many eyewitnesses, and remember, they're preaching in a very hostile arena, in a city, in a land that's doing everything they can to discredit their message because they want to put an end to Christianity. If there was anything false, or if there were exaggerations in the accounts of the apostles, the enemies of the gospel would have discredited and the message would not have lasted. Finally, do we have historical corroboration? The historical accuracy of the Gospels are confirmed by also close to a dozen non-Christian historical works. Many of these non-Christian Roman and Jewish works confirm the characters and events of the New Testament. In fact, many of these we can label anti-Christian works because if you read the works, they're very hostile to Christianity. Those of you in the law field here understand that enemy attestation is some of the most powerful evidence in court. When an enemy witness verifies the facts of your defendant's case and has no reason to do so, this is very powerful and compelling evidence. And here we have several hostile witnesses affirming the facts of the Gospels. For example, the Jewish Talmud completed in 300 A.D., writes a stinging account of Jesus Christ. And it says this, On the eve of the Passover, Yeshu, Jesus, was hanged for 40 days before the execution took place. A herald went forth. He is going forth to be stoned because he has practiced sorcery and enticed Israel to apostasy. Anyone who can say anything in his favor, let him come forward and plead on his behalf. But since nothing was brought forward in his favor, he was hanged on the eve of the Passover. So the Jewish Talmud affirms Jesus was a historical person. He did unique and unusual deeds that are attributed to sorcery and magic. It affirms his death by Roman crucifixion, and later the ministry of five apostles are named. 
Well, this concludes the first part of Pat's defense of the historical reliability of the Gospels. If you missed any part of this message, log on at evidenceandanswers.org, and you can listen to this message and hundreds of others by Pat and his guests. I know that Pat presented a lot of information, and if you would like the information Pat presented, as well as evidences for Christianity, get a copy of Pat's new book, Unless I See, Is There Enough Evidence to Believe? In this book, Pat presents the compelling evidence for the Christian faith. This is a great book for every Christian who wants to be an effective witness for Christ in our culture today. Pat's ministry relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by Pat's teaching, please support him in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. Join Pat next week as he concludes his defense of the Gospels. We hope to see you next week here on Evidence and Answers. Evidence and Answers.